to the client. Um, the liability of a, of a board member, an individual board member, collectively is, is governed by the business judgment rule, which is, if nothing else, much more, much uh, more lenient to mistakes in judgment. Um, there are different sources of insurance. In your malpractice area, we'll cover you if you're giving legal advice. But if you're not, um, it may not, and you may have to look to the DNO carrier from the organization if it has one, and then you not. Um, and finally, lawyers have to worry about being licensed if your charity exists in New Hampshire or Rhode Island and you're not licensed to practice law in those states. If you go into those states and start giving legal advice, um, you may have a regulatory problem. Obviously, directors don't have that. Next slide. Now, the two-hat problem is primarily uh, a problem with small not-for-profit organizations. Um, big nonprofits, Harvard University, General Hospital, Big organizations generally don't expect that lawyers who sit on their governing bodies uh, will be the principal source of legal advice. They have resources, they have enough money to hire counsel as they need it. They probably did in-house counsel. Uh, so serving on the board of a big nonprofit is not very different from serving on the board of a for-profit. Now, there are probably good reasons why uh, lawyers shouldn't be either, particularly if the big for-profit or not-for-profit organization is a client of the lawyer or the lawyer's firm. Um, but if you're, if you're asked to serve on the Harvard Board of Overseers, that's probably not a huge concern. That's like this. As I said, the problem is principally uh, a problem with small nonprofits. And the problems are the opposite of the advantages that big organization has. Small nonprofit generally has limited resources. Uh, a small staff will not find um, in house counsel on those staffs. Um, the organization may have fairly limited experience in the various legal issues that it faces. Um, the executive director, um, you know, may not have the full range of managerial skills that the chief executive of a larger organization uh, would have. And this is probably admitted in over generalization, but not much of it, that if you accept a position on a small nonprofit board, they will inevitably be looking to you for legal guidance if you're the only, if you're the only lawyer on the board. And that's where I'm going to focus most of my attention. First, before you join, it really is important to uh, do some due diligence before you agree to serve on any board, particularly uh, a nonprofit, small nonprofit board. Are you committed to the organization's mission? If not, you know, write them a check if you want them. You're better for something. Um, determine whether or not being on the board is the best way you can help. Maybe they have a big legal project. And the best way to help the organization is by having, by you taking on or getting your firm to take on a big representation in Vermont lawsuit or a major um, legislative effort. That may be the best, I mean, you know, that may be more valuable than your input on the board. But if you, and, and, you know, look, it's flattering when a, a respected organization, you know, says you want to join. And, and you want to think about it. Even if you are committed to the organization and think that you have, a, have something to contribute by joining the board, um, you should do some due diligence on the organization. Um, I mean, there are various um, online sources you can find out. You can read the 
the annual tax forms that organizations submit are, are public and accessible uh, from a number of, of internet sites. Uh, you know, you want an organization that you know, files its things on time and all that stuff. Um, who else is on the board? Is it, 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 is it a group that's diverse, both in terms of experience and in any other way? Um, are they people who are experienced and sophisticated, particularly in things that you're not experienced and sophisticated? Is it a good mix? How about the executive director? Is the executive director experienced? Do they have the, the judgment and intelligence to run what amounts to a small business? Um, is the organization effective in carrying out its mission? Now that, that may be a harder thing to determine, uh, but probably shouldn't join the board unless you have some idea of what metric should be applied in determining whether or not a charitable organization is successful. So many organizations if you're sort of can generate a million dollars in, in fundraising, a huge chunk of that often goes to the fundraiser. Uh, so I mean you know, see if you're helping the organization as a board member will, will bring you know, a bang for the buck that you think is worthwhile. How are the finances? Um, you know, it is, it is tough to be a small nonprofit. Fundraising is always uh, a challenge. The pandemic has presented novel challenges, um, but it, it is always a challenge. You should clarify the expectations. If you're still inclined to, to join the board, clarify what the expectations are, both uh, in your capacity as a board member and by virtue of having you are a lawyer. Many organizations, including one that I belong to, um, have an, an expectation which they articulate in advance um, that uh, Board members will take part in the fundraising. It's the notion of give or get. You know, sections, but either give X dollars or get somebody else to give X dollars to organization. And so you ought to know that in advance. You also ought to know what the, I mean, it would be obvious that you're a lawyer, find out what their expectations are in terms of that. Are they hoping that your firm will provide all of the um, legal services by virtue of the fact that you are on the board? Um, you know, if that's the expectation, you should either clarify it or talk to your 501c3 people if you have any in firm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I spoke to Sue about this on several occasions. And if the trust of the states did at good responded positively to every request they get for assistance with the 501c3 status of uh, nonprofits on whose boards various partners sit, they would have no confidence. So don't make commitments that you are not confident you're going to be able to do. Next slide, please. Okay. If you accept this position and there is an expectation that you or your colleagues have a firm, you're welcome, will provide legal services, then open a pro bono matter. One of the ways to manage the TPAP problem is to make sure that you know when you're providing legal services and if you open a pro bono matter number charge your time to that if you're providing legal services. If you're just acting as a board member, and that includes assessing the legal advice you get from the organization's lawyers, um, you should have a separate client matter number for the time you spend as a board member. Um, you also want to do whatever else you need to do whenever you open a pro bono matter. You need to do a conference. Uh, you should make sure that 
uh, that there is insurance practice coverage for new services. Um, you need to, in many firms, you need to have some kind of management approval before undertaking any significant pro bono matter, particularly if it's going to involve time other than yours. Um, and keep track of the time. I mean, there are good reasons, in addition to the ones I just mentioned, for keeping track of your time. Um, uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, the organization that, uh, in which I serve, the uh, foundation gave us a matching grant. Um, and, uh, and, and so the organization was you know, scram scrounging to up its game in terms of fundraising. Uh, but then we had the smart idea to ask if in-kind contributions would count. And the answer actually was plenty. And so we figured out how many hours I spent providing legal assistance. I multiplied it by my hour billing rate. And that was an in-kind contribution. And it was important in getting us over, over, the, uh, over the hump. Um, so you can read my next slide, please. I don't want to spend much time on this. This is quite, I, I, I am constantly surprised that lawyers do this, including many of my colleagues. I mean, if, I think many of us have heard the phrase, but it's only a pro bono method. I mean, that has no basis in the law. If you undertake to provide legal services, whether or not you decide to charge a fee for it, the standard of care is the same. So, I mean, again, that's why you should be careful and clear about when you're undertaking to provide legal services. Because if you do, really, you can take the same amount of care, time, resources as you would if this were paid. Next slide. Um, this, is a, this is particularly important for lawyers uh, who serve on small nonprofit boards because um, you know people think about lawyers in some ways the same way they think about doctors, in the sense that you know even if you are if you're dealing with a podiatrist, um, you know somebody will ask that podiatrist questions about uh, joint pain and the. Uh, um, uh, coronary illness and things like that. None of us, none of us are competent in every legal issue that a nonprofit faces. Uh, I mean, just think about the kinds of things that a nonprofit has to deal with, tax issues, maintaining uh, nonprofit status, they have employment matters, they have real estate matters. Uh, if it's an advocacy group, Somebody's going to have to tell them about what the lobbying requirements are in Massachusetts. And, and, and there are many, many others. Uh, you know, if you, if you accurately think you are expert in all of those, God bless you, you are, you are a unique colleague. I'm certain. Um, and so you have to be really there because the board's going to look to you. All the hands are going to turn to you. In the board meeting, if there's a complicated legal problem, you want to think in advance of what you're saying. Uh, I mean, one of the first things you're going to say is, well, I, I, I'm really not an expert in 501c3 or whatever it is you're talking about. I'll give you my, my judgment as a member of the board. Um, and sometimes you'll say, but I, you know, I don't have the competence to provide the kind of advice the organization needs. And then wearing your board member hat, it's your fiduciary part of it, the fiduciary duty that you share with your fellow board members. You need to make sure the organization gets the legal assistance that it needs. And if they don't, if they just like launch and love you, it gives us this is not the difference. You know, you should just write it on the palm of your hand going into a board meeting. Um, okay, next slide. I'm just going to time on this. I mean, the complex rules apply uh, the representation of a nonprofit um, just the same as they apply to representing any other clients. Uh, you know, if 
if the organization has an issue that uh, with another client of your office, give them legal advice. I mean, you need to say, I'm sorry, that's fine. I will have to receive Similarly, if they, if, if, uh, if your firm has agreed to do pro bono or even a not pro bono, they serve legal services to the organization as a board member shouldn't take part in discussing the terms of the employment of the board member. And even if you can't disclose a particular matter because of confidentiality, let's say you represent the landlord of the organization and the landlord has some issue, um, and uh, assuming you've gotten a conflict waiver, you, you know, some of your colleagues are advising the landlord get a letter from the landlord some demand, uh, you may not, oh, not a letter, I mean, you may not be able to tell the rest of the board that the, uh, that because of another client relationship, you can't advise them, you can't participate in the discussion. You can just say, look, okay, my professional obligations preclude me from explaining why I have to refuse myself or have to refuse yourself. Okay, next slide, please. Almost. Organizational formalities. I mean, the one thing you probably will be expected to do um, is, to, uh, is to tell the board what they need to take particular actions. Something that the executive director can do on his or her own. Uh, this require a, a vote, the vote have to be in person. Uh, all those things. Uh, if, if you're the only lawyer on the board, the board I guarantee you will be asked to become a corporate secretary. This comes with the territory. Knowing that you should know what you need to know about those issues. You should know what the, the article of organization and the bylaws say about the organization. And if you discover that somebody uh, in the organization, executive director, has engaged in some kind of misconduct or, or you leads to the organization. And so if the executive director says, I'm talking to you in private about a confidential matter, uh, you should, if, if your antennae should sprout through your head, and you should say, well, I mean, uh, of course, I'm prepared to discuss anything concerning the organization, and I won't tell anyone outside of the organization. But uh, it's something that the board needs to know. I'm going to tell them. Finally, we should know when it's time. Uh, I mean, and uh, uh, this is not necessarily rats moving a sinking ship. Although, if you sense that the ship is floundering and may sink sometimes, I would think real hard about getting off the board. But I mean, you know, the same factors that you consider in deciding whether to join the board still apply. Are you still committed to the mission of the organization? Uh, I mean, is the work still interesting for you? Was it a chore? If you dread board meetings, well, I mean, then it's probably time to to, uh, to get off. And, uh, great, you have to bring new 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 uh, ideas into the organization, or we need to pass the baton on to the new generation of leaders in this area. It doesn't matter, because if you're feeling is if it's stale. My guess is the executive director of the rest of the board recognize that you're treated as a chore and you know, then you just stop. Okay. Uh, that's it for me. I haven't taken questions unless uh, I have to go first and then you take questions. Mm -hmm. Is that what you want? Yes. I'm going to start with my own disclaimer. I'm not going to share on 
Public can look into the work that's 
And we have these important rules. It's important to remember that as a board member, you actually serve as the front line control for all of these issues. So we encourage you to think about your uh, the types of issues that come to our office as it relates to your organization, because it's your job to make sure that the organization is safe to its mission and that you're operating with So what does it mean from our point of view for you to be a director of our duties? So you have um, a role in overseeing the leadership of your organization, the executive director or the CEO, but also to see that your organization is capable of carrying out this mission. And to that end, you hold your organization to the leadership of this mission. You care and you do the And I'll walk through each of them. So the... Um, the duty of care is codified in Chapter 187 and requires essentially that you operate um, and act in good faith in the best interest of the organization. Uh, so, if we're looking at what would other people who are in these similar circumstances with a similar type of corporations or different entities in the charity be doing under these circumstances? What is that? Uh, at, at its highest level, it means be diligent, be careful, and just be thoughtful in your actions. And it also means to be educated about the decisions that you're making. So you should be thinking about what this looks like in terms of organization. You certainly can rely on no expectation that you as a board member have all this. This is kind of talking here. You're not bringing everything to the table, but you should know your way around the finances of your organization. You should know what kind of financial statements your organization is filing. Generally speaking, you should have an idea of how the organization should be where it's in on the legal and regulatory compliance obligations of the organization. So thinking about your life experience, uh, bring that to the table. You should know what your organization's obligations are, are they meeting those violence obligations, and you should be reviewing any forms that are being submitted of confidence and whoever signing off on them, understand what's in the form, and uh, it is appropriately represented to the uh, regulatory body You should be uh, up to date on the organization's policies and procedures, but that extends from your own board policies and practices to the kind of high-level policies and practices that are in place in that. And that depends on the size of the organization. Certainly, really big charities are going to have any number of policies and procedures. It's not the expectation that you know it's generally but you should have a sense of how to manage the organization. And certainly from the board's point of view, you should be up to date and periodically reviewing the policies and practices and procedures that uh, impact you as a board member. So uh, that should also include the documentation of your process. The expectation is that boards are uh, taking minutes, memorializing their votes, and keeping them up. Good records of all the activities that you Wrapped into this duty of care is also a duty to oversee the management of the organization. This is certainly not an expectation that you are on the, the ground day to day of what's happening in the Assets. 
but you as a board member should know what's happening with them and be able to understand from a high level how they are able to be spent and how they're using it in the organization. Uh, so that should extend to the fundraising, the relationships, and also the reputation of the organizations. Important as a board member to think about is this action in line with the mission? Is this, is this action of this expenditure in line with uh, the goals of the organization? And does it come to the role or could it potentially mark the reputational assets of it? But the duty of loyalty is second fiduciary duty owed to the public charity, also coming out of Chapter 180, which requires you. That you act in good faith in a manner reasonably believed to be in the organization's best interest. Essentially, are you making decisions with the organization's interest in mind first? Where we see this pop up from our point of view as being an issue from time to time comes up in conflicts of interest. So um, it is not uncommon and not inappropriate that as you build a board, as your organization uh, makes contacts across the community that you'll have folks who bring different various expertise and different um, opportunities for your organization. But how is your board managing potential conflicts that they're about to in this situation? How are you preventing personal financial gain from any corporate decisions that are being made from the charity? Uh, and it's important to think about how those potential conflicts are being disclosed uh, and to ensure that we're, that you're staying away from situations like self-dealing. This doesn't mean that organizations should never work with their friends concerning or that organizations should contact brands who have to do this on their website. What it means is that it needs to be transparent about how the relationships need to be, that folks need to ensure that anyone who's related to that potential uh, relationship is decision making and that not interested uh, directors are the ones who decide what's the best. So I just started running through this a little bit, but just uh, high level here disclose, discuss, manage, and ensure that your organization has a conflict of interest. It's really key that all the members of the board understand what their obligations are as it relates to conflict and that everybody's on the same page about everything. From there, documentation, refusal as it comes up, uh, and making sure that just as I said, being made right is understood. Highlighted uh, just one common challenge that I think is important to think about if you are considering working with a smaller organization, and it's something that we call founder syndrome. And what, what happens here typically is um, you have a charismatic, really committed founder who has started an organization and over time that organization has done but the mindset of the organization is being run by that original individual so while they're entirely committed to the mission they are the only source of all the knowledge they have a board but the board kind of sits as a placeholder and doesn't have a practical application and the founder themselves has, has gone to a point where it's found my way or the highway your obligation as a board member and thinking about whether or not you want to be part of these organizations is that you should always feel empowered and engaged enough to ask questions of the leadership. Even if your leadership is the person who organized it, even if your leadership is the main of the organization, based the organization, you as a board member should always feel confident enough to be able to ask why and the how. Uh, it's important also, finally, just to know that sometimes small organizations run into mission blinder situations where they're so focused on achieving their mission with all the best intentions that they that they forget that they're running an operation. And so as a board member, faced with there can be circumstances in which you need to draw back the directors and management of the organization and make sure that they're thinking about have we paid our employees, have we made sure that we're thinking about our long-term objectives here and not only pay rent this this month but are we ensuring we can pay rent next, next month to continue the uh, operations of the So finally, just from a high level, uh, the best practices really look for independent, diverse boards. As I said before, we think it's important that boards really consider, consider 
whether or not they are inclusive of any individuals who are directly connected to the work that they're doing as an organization. Make sure that your organization and your board itself have established policies and procedures in place. And that goes beyond your articles and bylaws that should include those policies. And then be sure that there's a lot of documentation happening for the board, disclosure when necessary, internal evaluations that the board has put together for. Finally, I would recommend visiting our website. There's a lot of really uh, issue-specific information that can be helpful from a regulatory point of view, but also uh, as organizations have questions about what are we going to do with these assets or we have some change circumstances. There's a lot of resources that are there. Uh, we also have a, a guide for board members, which is, I think, something that if you're new to these on the board, it's worth and then it would encourage you to think of our office as a resource, both as a board member, but also potentially as a uh, uh, running organization. We're here to help to be on the right path. That's really the basic nice goal. So, so we I was there for seven years, and 
the firm owed me while I did this work. So I got a phone call one evening, and someone said, Hey, would you be interested in joining the Year Rossi's Alumni Board? And I had never served on the board, so I didn't know what that entailed. So I said, Sure, that would be a really good way to um, let my community figure out what it's like to be a board member. I said, Yes. I, I, I then learned that all boards were mostly all right. I was seeing how the nominating committee, so I met with the nominating committee member, the chair of the nominating committee, learning about the board, and I was sold because it was a good way to get back to my law school. So that was my first board. And after that, the, the process was essentially the same. I would either attend networking events and meet people who were on boards or get a phone call from someone who on my profile and thought it would be a good fit in interviewing with a nominee member or members, which is usually what the process entails, sharing the resume, and just going through on your own. You heard it from Henry earlier, just really determining whether it's a good fit for you or your reaching out. So that was the process. And I think with a lot of awards that I've served on in the past and now, the, the recruitment process has been pretty quick. So we have, um, as you probably can tell, we're interviewing because we wanted to um, spice it up. We probably should have a coffee or cocktails out here. But um, so I'm going to ask you a question. What tips do you have for vetting uh, a board member? Or vetting a board, excuse me. So I always say to people, before you vet the board, date uh, the charity, right? So we always say that before you vet date. Right, and the reason we want to do that is find out what volunteer opportunities are, find out what speaks to you. What I find is obviously it's going to depend. I would say the reason why we're to join is to form a chair, right? Or to put it on the So really think about the fact that chances are you're going to be there and there's going to be a need for you to volunteer to do more than just be a part of that work. So if it speaks to it, a lot of people will make that time. I work to do so if you're going to be on the board, so we want to make sure that that mission really gets you right. So, that is go to the different volunteer opportunities, try that piece out before, uh, and then network with board members, you know, find out who it is that you're going to be sitting with potentially live, right, or via Zoom on a monthly basis or even more often, right. Um, and then I would say, I'm not shy to ask this, right? But I want to understand the culture of that. What am I setting up for? What's expected, right? You cannot be shy. It's a job interview, right? There are a lot of wonderful nonprofits out there. So figure out how am I going to fit? What do you want from me? What, what does a great board member look like, right? And then you might decide what you want to do. But edit it out, try it out, wait. So let me ask you uh, this. What are the benefits? So what have you found to be the benefits of joining? Wow, there are many. So professional development has, has been the best outside of my job. So that has been one benefit because a lot of the boards I joined, I didn't have background in, you know, in a lot of the areas you know, that were aligned with the mission of the organization. So I was able to learn a lot about the, the organizations. And I also think it's a really good way to give back to your community. Um, and, and that is well aligned with knowing what the mission is. So I joined Stonehouse, as Melissa said, right after um, attending this event virtually and starting as a panelist. And the reason why I joined Stonehouse is because when I was driving home from being out of state, the first year associate at the conference, so I was in a room for about three weeks talking with you. I was driving and I actually heard on the radio was returning um, the rental car that this person was murdered by a boyfriend. And I thought, it sounds like your cousin. Like she lives in Braintree, and it sounds like my first name, last name, so I pulled over. And it, it, it was hard. And that was so traumatic. So after that, I, I made a mission to, to give back as much as I could. I was not fortunate enough to find a board to, to give my time to back then. But that has just been an area where I try to volunteer as much as possible. And um, when I learned about Stonehouse, after attending this event, I connected with Rosa. And to me, being on that board is even more personal than some of the other boards I'm on. 
where I feel like, you know, that's going to be really rock inside. You know, that's one of my passions, right? Like seeing more than succeeding politics. But Stonehouse just really hits home for me because had my cousin had some of the resources that are offered by the organization, she probably would have been here today. So that, to me, the benefit there is that every time I join a I know that I'm helping my cousin, helping other people who are like my cousin, and, and they had a chance that she didn't. So that is, you know, that's a very personal benefit, but um, other benefits are when you're, when you're, as many of you know, when you work with these different organizations, it's, you know, your office, cubicle, and you're helping the organization, which is good, they're, they're paying us, but sometimes you, you feel that hole, like you want to do more, you want to really add value and be a productive member of society. And that, that's what I got from a lot of my boards. They all offer different things, but I think they just make me a more well-rounded person. So that's, that's my why. It's a lot, but that's my why. Maybe before you ask me a question. So similar, right? This is what you might do. So like I said, in office, so one of the places I was volunteering a few years back, so we called this is called over 10 years now, um, I visited Snowhouse. And it was truly shocking, really shocking to see so many leadership running around, right? It was kind of hidden. And again, personal story, this is where the passion comes from, right? My father is a disciple, right? He got kicked out of being deported to his home because he called his father out. And he said, you stick here, you're going to take all your brothers rise up against me, you need to know. Right? And so again, I saw these little children, I pictured my father, and I said, this is where I'm not trying to Right? And the three other charities that I'm on, again, for my parents, right? That kind of home is all about making sure that as you age, you age your dignity in your own home. Right? And I, for one, am lucky enough to be able to support my parents and to be able to think, but not everybody has that. Right? And so having that passion and that connection with me helps with visiting presence and hurt. Right? I have five children, right? So I'm a, you're busy, I'm busy, we're busy people, right? But our kids get to see that we give back to something and feel fantastic. Sometimes I feel like there's not enough to do more than doing. And so that is a thing for me. So that connection, look for that connection for me, what's to do. That's very helpful. What about skills? What skills do you want to have to so I would say, so we're going to do a lot of them, right? You know what people respond to, right? Curiosity, ask questions, don't stop. Kids are going to be lost in too because of that first knowledge. First knowledge, asking a lot of questions, right? It, it's, it gets interesting, right? Because sometimes on the board, people on the board forget that they're oversight, not in management, right? Uh, so sometimes, especially the president of the board, I have to step in and be like, okay, kind of. Trying to direct the organization to do the day to day. It's not our obligation, but yes, curiosity. Right? So that curiosity bit is very, very helpful. Um, I would say other skills. Um, and it's interesting, I think as long as you're willing to learn, that's kind of all that you need to bring to the table, right? The skills that you walk away with are fantastic, right? So you come in with that curiosity, you start asking a lot of questions. All of a sudden, you're moving into financial statements and you can't financial statements a lot better. You understand audits better. You understand things that Department of Public Health not on my field, like financial services and learning historically and our compliance, right? So you bring the skills of questions, you bring that first knowledge to the board, you walk away with so much more, right? It's actually one of the reasons why I started uh, and almost got into my MBA. Right, I started the process of getting my MBA because I wanted to make sure that I understood financial service, financial statements better. And it's something that really has to long time to work with and the nonprofit work. So bring that curiosity, that thirst for knowledge, and you will walk away with even more skills. So let me ask you this one: what what are your board meetings? What is it? It can be a lot depending on how, how active you want to be. Which is why it would be good to determine like what, what the skill sets are and then how much time you really want to, to give to the organization. I won't repeat all the, the wonderful things we learned from, from Henry and Emily. So we know the five you should do, right? We know 
what we want to spend of it and what we're expected to do and what ethical obligations we have. So I'll just speak to just the day to day on some of these boards. You're expecting almost every board will have committee structure where you have to actually work. A lot of your boards are working boards, so you're not just joining a conference hall once a month or quarterly. So they expect you to join a committee, support the organization's mission through that committee work and, and help run that's, that. That's um that's where a lot of the time comes in because um, I think almost all of my boards we have the committee structure, so that's where the work really happens. Then we report that during our quarterly or monthly meetings. Also, really what I've learned from a lot of the boards that I'm on is we're really champions for organization. So every, I, I don't like it. It's really out of my comfort zone to, to ask for money. Development is not my thing. My ex-husband and I, when, when our kids would always come home with the chocolate bar sales, we would buy all of them and just say, here, we're cheating, but here you go. We're not asking anyone to buy kids. It's not it's uncomfortable for me. So he tries it now with like football and basketball things. I'm like, yeah, basketball. But, um, Volunteering really does come with you know being that champion for the organization. Fundraising, a lot of these organizations will say if you don't fundraise, and that can pose a problem for a lot of attorneys who work in government because you know we have limitations. You can't fundraise if you don't work for you know the agency office, for example. So I think at the end of the day, it's just finding out what the organization needs from you as a member.
question. He asks this, um, what obstacles have you faced adequately? So this is this is where, and I, kind of, I was paying attention, this is where your presentation comes in handy. I, I faced a few obstacles on the boards in the past, but one of the main ones was which had a nerve. You are as a lawyer, I would get inundated with legal questions. And when I would say I'm not an informal lawyer, so I can't I can't answer that question. Well, but you're a lawyer, you should be able to answer this and you know our budget doesn't allow for counsel. So just I understand that this is not real legal advice, but you can tell us no, I can't. Um that that that's happened a lot, and Henry's absolutely correct that it happens more often than not with smaller nonprofit boards. So you just have to know how to push back. But as a newer board member coming up, I didn't really know what to do with that. I was so concerned about relationships being diplomatic, but I quickly recognized that it was important to draw that line. So that I didn't get myself in trouble. Another obstacle. Again, I've been on so many um, different boards and, and some of the more challenging aspects of my, my duties have been when we actually have people from the organization, employees, seek out the board members and complain about mismanagement um, of needs. So going into serious employment issues, and it goes back to the kind of sudden, and you know, you have the executive director or anyone reach out to you, you have to make you're, you have to make it very clear what your role is because otherwise you can inadvertently become a witness because you just have this long conversation with coffee. So those have been some of the challenges. Um, and then finally, I would just say the last bucket involves just boards that, that organizations that have boards that can't get out of their own ways. So it's like, you know, whether it's mission creep, whatever it is, we keep talking about the same thing over and over. And that's when, although you make well the organization, that's when you really have to have an honest conversation with yourself and your loved and ask, is this a good use of my time? Is this a good fit for me? And before myriad issues, but I have found that I'm at my happiest place when I'm aligned with the mission, when I like the people who are sitting around the, the, the board table, and when it's, it's a safe place to really share ideas. Because you can get sucked into boards where you, you like the mission of the organization, but the leadership is not a good fit for you. So, those have been some of the challenges. And the solution for me has just been to. So, my question for you I know we don't have many questions left actually. Why, why is it important to diversify? Do you decide why you want to? Yeah, I think you know, for Jamie, it's important to buy our. Uh, Right, whether it's financial services or you know, professional. And I always use this, this kind of visual to show you know, where it comes from. When I ask, it's all about perception, right? So if I sit here, this is what I see, right? And all of you are seeing what you see, right? So there are certain things that you see that I cannot, right? Just take it from that perspective. That's it. Right, so you need to diversify more when it comes to, you know, this is an active effort. We, we actually, as someone have tons of words on our board, right? So we didn't have a bunch of issues with being aware. So there's so many of them that everybody understood. We can ask the words to be ordered on board as board members, right? But we actively said we do need more lawyers on this board, so we need to go look to get you. But looking for people, you know. So many times it's like here's the list of needs. 
rented the ghetto basement, like they were we need a new shelter space, we need the mattresses, we need couches, we need towels, we need this, right? And so at that point the court is yelling if we have a GC of prime mark on it, right? And tries to find a way to kind of get you know get information from that perspective, et cetera, right? So that diversity also includes that need to say Rolodex, that Rolodex diversity, right? To bring different people from different parts of the world into that board into that Rolodex space. That's what I guess, you know, let me ask you this, and we're pretty close. So how can boards successfully recruit and retain diverse candidates? How does that mean to challenge? I think attending events like this, this is how I saw I joined the Stonehouse board. We all have, you know, we all have networks, reaching out to networks and, and asking whether they know anyone who may be interested in, you know, export. I know, for example, we've identified some areas we'd like to, to fill in terms of gaps. Speaking to people, you know, in HR, speaking to people, you know, who are in real estate. I think that's how that's how you diversify, really just being on the phone and calling someone. And I think every inclusion comes into play. Our, our boards, and I think this will only have your size, but the, the board should really represent constituents. And you cannot have I was on board of charter schools for a really, really long time. And one day, a few of us were at Woody and we looked up and we said, we were in the heart of Madigan. And the only person of color on this board was me. And that was my city. I, I, grew up, I don't live there now, but I grew up in Dorchester. And we had this aha moment, like, why, like, why did it take you know, the past five years for us to go on like this? And realize that when we're going out into the community and we're looking and you're thinking, why you just have one person? So I think it is it's really important for you know we can we have to realize how I can get there in terms of diversifying the board, but D and I come into play because you can't you cannot be effective if you don't have diversity, you need diversity of thought, all, all kinds of diversity. And I think that's how the boards that I've been on. At least over the past few years, I think they're super effective because they try to represent constituents and not just have a board that, that looks one way. So we have one, we have one um, final question, which is actually very related to the, the last two. How can boards avoid making a person feel like it's so I mean, obviously, the same age, there's definitely a desire to attract more diversity, right? And so it kind of becomes very obvious to me, right? So I've been the only uh, on the board before, and what was really helpful was that dealing with along and receiving the onboarding process was so welcoming and open that it didn't feel awkward. Right? And so obviously, I'm on boards. I try to make sure that we're considered, hey, you know what? Class. Right? That gives them a, you know, they're all going through that same process to start. <coughs> right? I would say building that culture of belonging, giving a person an onboarding process, right? Bringing them on and explaining that to kind of something in the seat and being like, hey, what? Observe as you go. Right, and so having that welcoming feeling makes it less, less likely to feel like you only want me here 